Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art related. This is episode 114, Christina's Lino Life, recorded on November 9th, 2020. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm kind of pondering the reversal of things with your brother who has moved out to Los Angeles. So the first thing is the other day we had a little earthquake, which of course I slept through, uh, but you, you felt it. And Los Angeles, of course, is known for being earthquake prone. And then it's 75 degrees here, whereas it's only 60 something in Los Angeles. And we've been having this strange, weird spate of very very warm days so so what you're telling me it, is soon this will be la i'll be surrounded by beautiful people and you know he'll be in la where stuck with tons of red sox fans does that seem there appropriate? <laughs> it seems appropriate totally <laughs> So a couple of things that people might be interested in. Um, I have some brand new SVG cut files in my shop. They are color scheme cut files. And so this is a series of, um, I believe it's eight or nine cut files that you get where it's a blank color wheel and then uh, an overlay, these different overlays that go over it that you can basically see the different color schemes, meaning you want a triadic scheme, you want an analogous scheme. Etc. It's a way of you getting uh, an easier way of picking your colors. So you can check that out. You can also see a video about it on my YouTube if my description was extraordinarily confusing. I also want to say that if you're interested in becoming a monthly Balzer Designs member, we have new membership tiers. I'm really super excited about the super learner level, uh, which is like the platinum level. We had our first critique group last month. It was awesome. I came away inspired. Uh, so that is a great opportunity. It's called a critique group, but it's really not that scary. It's about um, you know sharing some of your work, getting some feedback and some help, and also me sharing some ideas about how uh, methods you can use to improve your work. Uh, it's really nice, and it's a tiny group, which makes it even better. So, uh, all of that said, we are going to do our recommendations, things that are making us happy this week. And mom, I know you always have a New York Times article that has you excited to talk about. I somehow feel that's a critical remark. I don't know <laughs> why. Uh, yes, I'm talking today about window swap, which is a thing where you, uh, I've sent you the link. People have sent in the view from their windows. So it could be in Peru. It could be in England. It could be in Santa Monica, California. And you too can send in the view from your window and they tell you how to do that. But so you get to travel without having to travel. And it's not just the views which are so different, but there are sounds. You could, you almost feel like you could smell different smells. It's very pleasant and refreshing and it sort of makes you feel not so housebound during this time of quarantine so that is my recommendation window swap so my recommendation is a product i've been using for a long time but they changed the packaging and unlike normally where i would complain about the packaging change i am thrilled with the packaging change so i have been using bob ross black gesso yes that bob ross of the happy little clouds 
Um, he has a black acrylic gesso that's really fantastic. I use it in my art journal constantly. It is, if you've ever seen a black page in my art journal, it is most definitely done with this black gesso, which is super matte, which is why I like black gesso as opposed to black paint. But anyway, the packaging change, which I will tell you about, is it used to be in a bottle that had a flip top. And more than once, because again, I've been using this product for years, I have broken the flip top off of the top of uh, the gesso, which is really annoying because then air gets in. Also, it had like a major, you have to clear away some of the clogging and because it's gesso, it hardens up, blah, 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 blah. But it was still good enough that I was willing to fight the good fight through that. But they have redone the bottle. It is now a much taller, thinner bottle and it has this top that's almost like a squirt bottle which is to say it's sort of a, a nozzle and then it has a small cap that is attached by a piece of plastic and you push off the small cap, pour out of the nozzle and then pop the small cap back on. I haven't had any problems with breakage. I, it's a much better seal in terms of all that kind of stuff. So I'm just thrilled all around with it. It has made, it's a product that I love, which is now even better. So that, that's my recommendation. Anybody who wants a little bit of black gesso you can guess so that this one's a good one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so now that we have done our recommendations and told you uh, what we think will make you happy this week, let's talk to a guest who I think is also going to make you happy this week. Our guest today is Christina Richmond, who's also known by the moniker Tweeny. She's a designer by day, living and working in the beautiful city of Bath, which I will have to say I mostly know from reading a lot of Jane Austen novels. Uh, and she's an artist printmaker in her free time. So she's been printmaking for about nine years, mostly creating small lino prints packed full of detail. So welcome, Christina. Thank you. Hi. So is Bath what it is in all the Jane Austen novels, the place where people go and play? It pretty much is, yes. Um, <laughs> it's as pretty as it looks in the pictures as well, yeah, with all the golden um, limestone. It's lovely. Do they still have, like, the... I remember, at least in the books, that people go to Bath for their healing properties of, like, some of the natural springs and stuff. Is that still a thing? Um, we do have... Um, there's a spa in the centre of town, so, yes, it's still... there. There is still that, but I should imagine it's slightly less of the traditional sitting in the Roman baths and more sitting and having a nice massage. <laughs> right. I think that's very therapeutic. It sounds good to me, too, yeah. Right. So I know that you're recently married. Yes, I got married last August, so just over a year ago. So you've spent most of your uh, first year of marriage in quarantine then. Yes, pretty much, yes. <laughs> well, the good news is you guys like each other, so I'm sure it's yeah. been we, fine. We worked, we worked together for um, a good seven years before, um, uh, I think it was seven years or eight years before we got married. So um, we knew each other very, very well. We used to sit next to each other at work as well. So ah. <laughs> we know we can spend 24 hours a day together and get on. <laughs> so I know you said that you're a designer. Does that mean that your husband is also a designer? Yes, he is. Yes, we're both um, both work in publishing and design. So, will you tell us a little bit about the design work that you do? Um, so, my day job, um, I work for a publisher doing customer publishing, and so uh, I help design the magazines and I do all the print management as well. So, it's a very computer based sort of job. So, Lino is very much um, my creative analog sort of side the same for my husband as well he's an artist as well so he does paintings um 
and drawing and he does comic art as well but um we both spend our free time doing creative things <laughs> have you guys ever done a collaboration um we have um usually something he's drawn and then i've lino um turned it into a lino print but not very many we should do more that that may test your relationship you never know perhaps <laughs> perhaps art is a step too far uh maybe i mean he does quite a lot of comic art so that's quite a lot of um black and white sort of nice balance sort of black and white um pages so that they often sort of lend themselves to a sort of lino print style anyway so that's actually an interesting question because i was wondering you know you're a graphic designer and obviously magazine uh layout is a very particular kind of uh design that you're doing and i wonder how much of it translates over into the lino work that you do um i think definitely um the trying to get a balance on a page is definitely sort of translate i think if you're designing a page you want it to read through and it's the same with the lino print you kind of want to look from one end and look around the picture and um you want to have a good balance between black and white and what would be pictures and text on a editorial page so i think it's sort of almost sort of quite similar in a way i Just think that's more analog a lot of sense and probably influences like if so for, for people who haven't seen your prints and mom i don't think you've ever seen christina's prints before or maybe mm. you haven't you're not aware they are extremely detailed and very precise and careful and i have to assume that some of that comes from the things that also make you good at your job as a graphic designer yeah i think i think so i think i'm i i quite i'm quite a methodical person and i think the preciseness sort of almost comes from that really um I like to see a process from beginning to end and not rush it and I think I'm the same in work as I am probably doing line now. So when you say you don't want to rush it, do you tend to take a long time to finish a block? Yeah, so the ones so the ones I've been doing recently have been slightly bigger and um as per the um, Carve December class uh, tutorial I've done, um, I tend to um, plan it all out quite meticulously in on my iPad before I then carve it. Um, whereas I, I try, I have done prints where I've tried to be a bit more sketchy with it and sort of just do whatever marks, but I'm never quite as happy with them as when I've sat there and decided on every single mark beforehand. <laughs> So this is one of the things that I love about art in general and definitely creating, um, which is, uh, so I, I did your lesson, which is, you know, on creating your design on an iPad and then being able mm. to just print it out and transfer it. And I like partway through, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exhausting. I never plan things to this <laughs> level of detail, but I was like, come on, Julie, stick with it. I'm just much more of the like wing it kind of person. But the great mm. news is when I finished the print, I actually was extraordinarily happy with the final result. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, I, I wouldn't have have necessarily carved it this way if I hadn't actually done the work of planning it out before and that was really interesting because that's just not my natural tendency yeah. I mean I have done sketchy ones but I just find that when I plan it out I can plan the composition a bit more and if I'm not happy with something I can just delete it and draw it again whereas 
if you're doing that on lino, if you've carved it, you've kind of carved it. I, I, I do feel like I need to loosen up sometimes a bit more with my, with my lino prints, but um, uh, it's something I'm working on. <laughs> if you make a mistake when you're doing the carving, do you get rid of the whole block and try again, or do you try to turn it into something else? I usually just try and work with it. So it's usually if you've, I don't know, slipped and you've cut through a line that you meant to right. keep black or something. And I, I tend to just try and sort of carve around it so it looks like it was meant to be. <laughs> so that is a form of being like flexible. I mean, precise, but flexible instead of precise, but rigid. Yeah, I think I used, I think I used to be more flexible before I got my iPad. Um, <laughs> the, the transferring of the, so I used to do the sketch and then I'd probably get a bit of tracing paper and then sort of define the sketch a bit more. So I still planned it and was still meticulous a bit more about it. But the actual transferring before I used um, my carbon paper and stuff, it it was, I, the actual final design didn't happen until I was then carving and I draw draw on the lino and I was probably a bit more flexible then I found that I prefer the outcome when I've really really thought about how it's going to look well I think this is part of the journey of an artist which is understanding what works for you and that there isn't a right way or a wrong way there's the right way for you there's the thing that you know works for you and maybe in that moment and that can also evolve over time I'm, I'm going to guess you, you're nine years into that that's a significant amount of time that you've been doing this that you uh used a lot of different methods over that nine years and potentially you have changed and your process has changed over that time Definitely. Um, I mean, my processes have changed and also just the equipment that I've had. When I first started, it was literally I bought a cheap roller from the art shop um, and some water-based inks. Since then, I've got sort of, I've got presses and I've got barons and I've got brayers and I've got inks and I've just, I've got far more and I've experimented a lot with different um linos as well different surfaces and different papers and yeah I, I think just through trial and error really I've sort of practiced with lots of different things to work out what it is that I actually like so two questions the first is uh did you start like have you always carved linoleum did you never use one of the soft cut blocks uh no I started off I I think I started off with the sort of grey, easy carve sort of stuff. Um, one of the reasons why I really like the grey lino, though, is you can get a lot of detail in it, but also um, it's biodegradable. Um, with the easy carve, it's sort of plasticky, so it's lots of little bits of plastic. So I wasn't so keen on that personally, um, but I, I found that the lino, because it's biodegradable, I didn't feel quite so bad about cutting off lots of little bits of plastic. I had no idea that linoleum uh, was biodegradable. I've always thought of it as a completely a man-made fake, fake product. It's, um, I think it's is it cork and linseed oil or something. So it's all sort of biodegradable and then heftering on the back. Very that's, interesting. That's, the main reasons why I moved over, but I've really enjoyed Japanese vinyl because it's got a very similar sort of feel to the grey lino, um, and it also I feel like it you can wash it under the tap quite a lot easier as well. Um, 
but I think over the time I've probably used most services now. (laughs) Which is important. And I think that's the thing about not getting stuck in your methodology. Part of what I think keeps you growing as an artist is trying out new supplies and new things, which leads me to my second question, which is you mentioned that you have uh, a press or several presses. Uh, That is an interesting area to explore. So I'm wondering... So the second question turns out to be about eight parts. So I'm wondering (laughs) sort of how you decided you were ready for a press, what press you decided to get, and whether you think it really has changed the way that your prints look or the kind of printmaker you are. Well, I very much started with the back of a wooden spoon and burnishing the print with a wooden spoon. Um, And it just took quite a long per per print to get it done um my husband then bought me a um a baron um which was fine um but again like the wooden spoon it took quite a while to do each print i then went over to my parents house and my dad said oh well i've got a press and it was my grandmother's book press that he had refurbished a couple of years beforehand and so I was like, um, can I have it? <laughs> and um, so I, I took this refurbished press that my dad had made work again. And I was using that for a good long while. Um, but again, you have to sort of turn the wheel at the top um, each time you make a press. So I've now bought, um, I don't know whether you've heard of Woodzilla presses. I have. Um, so I've bought one of those. It's only an A4 one, but it works perfectly and it it doesn't take a lot of effort to print and you can do quite a lot of prints in one go without having a really hurting hand and arm and wrist and um so yeah I'm really 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 happy with that one has it changed the way way that you create in some way knowing that you have this press at the end yeah I think it has it's definitely made me do slightly bigger um prints I think because when I, I did do a couple of A4 ones nearer the beginning and it after doing the wooden spoon for ages to get it all um, printed, um, I sort of turned into doing sort of six inch square, so big enough to go on a card prints because they were just a lot easier to print. Um, but since getting the press, I've sort of gone a bit bigger again. You know, so there are a couple things that I want to just say. The first is that I do think that people tend to compare themselves to where somebody else is in their journey. And you're nine years in. And if, you know, somebody is is looking at you have a press and you do these big prints and you do this incredible detail, then it can feel very intimidating to sort of come in at it. And I think people need to remember, like everybody starts somewhere and you don't start with all the supplies and you don't start with all the knowledge. I'm so, I'm so enthusiastic when people, uh, I've had friends who are just like, oh, I really want to try line A printing. I'm just like, try it, try it. <laughs> and I'm like, I can tell you about what you need to get. You can just get the basic stuff. And I'm, I, I really want other people to get into it. Um, even so much so that um, on my Hindu for um, my wedding, um, I spent the afternoon with all my friends and family doing little stamps um, uh I don't know whether, do you know of um, Bululu Design, Beth Lewis? I don't. She, she's, she's got some fantastic prints, but she um, actually did the class for us and taught all my friends and like my mom and my auntie and everyone how to do a little stamp. And then I ended up with a print with everyone's stamp on it. So that was really nice. That's but, a wonderful um, idea. 
it was really nice um and she did it so um my sister had told her that uh, my husband was into comics so she sort of did it in a sort of comic theme so each square was a bit of the comic and we each we each did a little I think it was like a, a five centimeter square um each did you have an assigned image or no no they all had to they all had to um design something that reminded them of me Ah. (laughs) slightly narcissistic i like it (laughs) (laughs) if you can't be narcissistic at your hindu you know like when when can you (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) did you have other um block printing elements to your wedding did you make your own invitations or anything like that yeah yeah, my invitations and my save the dates were all hand printed um, uh, and RSVP cards. Um, yeah, I, I printed the invitations using lino and silver ink on um, a dark sort of blue teal card, um, which took me quite a while. <laughs> I'm sure even with a press, that's a la- love, uh, a labor of love, shall we yeah. say. Yeah, and the uh, save the dates were little wooden magnets, so it was um, printed onto little wooden discs. And do you think that people knew they were hand-printed, or do you think they didn't realize it when they got the uh, invitations? I think because it wasn't a massive wedging, I think most of the people that were there knew, and if they didn't, I probably told them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see this invitation that I've spent ages cutting out? (laughs) I think I have to say that I think things that are handmade and hand printed, like they just you can feel the ink on the paper. I think they they yes, do look yeah. and feel different. They're very tactile, aren't they? There, yeah, yeah, and it's something that really you know I'm a great memory keeper and a pack rat, and for me those are the things that are always so worth saving. It's like those little moments when somebody took something I remember there was a woman who did um craft fairs and you know she sent out postcards to advertise that she was going to be at a particular craft fair and she had just stitched a little piece of scrap paper to the postcard and I have I remember it this is probably like eight years (laughs) later uh, just because that little bit of handmade do you know what I mean felt so special yeah I think it just makes someone's put a lot of effort into doing something and I sort of want, I always want to appreciate the fact that someone's put a lot of effort into something. So speaking of a lot of effort, I believe that the Carve December class is your first time teaching online. It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and have you taught in person before? No, no, I haven't. Um, only as far as I've sort of given friends a few pointers, but never sort of done any workshops. And is this your first podcast also? Today. It is, yes, yeah. So many firsts. <laughs> so many firsts. So tell us the good, bad, and the ugly about, uh, or the learning curve at least, on doing your first class. Um, I've never been a massive fan of video of myself, so it was it was quite, um, it was definitely quite a sort of jump out of my comfort zone. Um, I just, even on Instagram stories, you see people all the time who are so out there and being able to just be on video in front of everyone. <laughs> and I, I just can't do it. But um, yeah, I pushed myself out of the uh, comfort zone to do it. Um, there was only a tiny bit of my actual face in it. <laughs> so I kept it all focused on the hands. And did you have trouble thinking about how to break down what you wanted to teach or was that easy? Um, 
once I, when I first started thinking about it, I was like, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? But then as I started, I sort of wrote myself a bit of a script to begin with. Um, and so I broke it all down. And then the more I thought about each bit, I kept thinking of other things that I needed to say. So I just kept adding to the script um, and then probably failed to read the script. <laughs> but um, I, I tried to get everything in there that I had set out to say. And um, yeah, it didn't come naturally to me, let's just say. <laughs> Well, I think it's, it's interesting. Like, yeah, it's not dissimilar from the process you use to design your stamps. True. That is to say, you like to take some time and preview yeah. it in your head and make sure you have everything that you want before you begin. Yeah, I like I like to sort of prepare myself before going in. And I think this is also, I mean, I, I am a great advocate to people. I believe that you should do things kind of before you're ready. You just have to sort of jump in and make it happen, and it, which sounds like very much that you did. And I think that, you know, like everything else in life, it's you will practice and it will be different. Just like the stamps that you carve now nine years later or the blocks that you carve now are totally different than what you started doing nine years ago. You know, who knows where you'll be another nine years from now in terms of teaching and, you know, video yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're always going to improve the more you practice. Well, you're also always going to improve the braver you are about trying new things, because I think part of what intimidates us about new things is just the fact that they're new. But if you're used to doing new things, it actually makes new things less intimidating, even though the things haven't changed and you haven't changed. It's just that now you're like, oh, I do things that are scary all the time. Let's do it. <laughs> used to being scared. Yes, I think that's a good way to think about it. I think, you know, one of the things that I am uh, so thankful in so many ways to art for is that I think that things you do in art, because we're whole people, do translate out into your life. So it's like, if you make a daily commitment to art, that's actually making a daily commitment to yourself. And that sort of translates over into how you view yourself and how you treat yourself. I think that if you make are willing to make some brave choices in your art and scare yourself by trying things you're not used to, that translates over into your life where maybe you're willing to try some things that you haven't done before. You know, if you're willing and open and flexible in your art and you don't get rigid about how things have to be, I think that translates over to your life where you can maybe loosen up and be less controlling and be okay with outcomes not being necessarily exactly what you expected. I don't know if you yeah. found that in your own art making that the things you try in that arena do translate over to your the rest of your life. I think so. I think, um, as you said, tr trying new things and pushing yourself into doing new things. Um, I I think with, with my lino prints, I mean, I've... I don't really have, I don't feel like I have a set style. Um, I know that there are people out there whose art all sort of have a consistent, their Instagram feeds always have like a consistent grid of um, very sort of similar, but brilliant art. Whereas I'm sort of, I, I'm definitely more just experimenting rather than trying to make a living because I've got a day job. So it's very much just for myself and, do you think um, that you have to have a distinct style in order to make a living at it? 
Um, I don't think so. I think it probably sometimes helps. Um, there's definitely people I follow whose style is often very similar. But then you find that they they do sort of branch out and do other things. But I was talking to someone on Instagram and she was sort of saying, oh, I don't know whether I have a style. And we decided that who who really cares? <laughs> don't really need a style. You just have fun. I think the style thing comes up for a lot of people and I listened to, well, I didn't listen, it's a video. I watched a video recently where someone was talking about style and I sort of agree with the context of this video where this uh, was an artist who was saying that she didn't have a style even though she's many, many years into her career uh, and even though other people may say that she has a style, she doesn't think so, but she has consistent things she's interested in or mm. tools that she likes to use, or things like that. And I think people define style too narrowly. I mean, we don't all have to be Al yeah. Hirschfeld, you know, who has, like, a very particular cartooning style, which is immediately recognizable. And I, I wonder sometimes if you have that distinct, distinct style like that, if you start to feel hemmed in because you can't explore things that you want I to. Of, I often think that it's possibly to do with money. Um, I think if you find that something sells and you're looking to make a living out of it and something is selling, you want to do more of what it is that is making the money. Um, I think as soon as you sort of take money away from the equation, you're probably far more experimental, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a real possibility. So do you have any desire to make this your day job or are you content with it as a hobby? I think I'm pretty content with it as a hobby, to be honest. Um, I, 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 some, I sort of... I, I often have moments where I'm like, I'm going to take over the world. Um, <laughs> and then I have other moments where I'm like, actually, I'm quite happy just having it as a hobby. There's no, I, I just do it whenever I want to. And it's not a chore. Um, and it, it is nice relief from sort of stressful day job sort of thing. I think that not enough people are content with it as a hobby. I say that as someone who who obviously doesn't do it as a hobby, but there's this great feeling, I think, that like if you're serious about it, you will become a professional. And I don't think that becoming a professional means that you're serious. There are plenty of people who are hobbyists who are incredibly serious about their work, who are very talented, who make amazing things, but who also recognize sort of what you said about when money gets attached, it changes things, that for them to still have a deep love for it, to still feel like they can be experimental, to still, you know, sort of exist in that space, that they're much happier with it as a hobby. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like the freedom that I can just do prints of whatever I want and there's no... There's no stress behind me of I've got to pay my rent, therefore I have to sell X amount of prints. Um, I, I can just do prints when the mood takes me and I can not do them if I'm having a bit of artistic block. Um, and there's no pressure on me apart from myself. <laughs> <laughs> so... Have you always been creative? Did you go to school for graphic design? Did you always know that some kind of like creativity or design was in your uh, future? Definitely. I mean, I as a kid, um, I've always sort of joked with my mum that I 
<laughs> she used to sit me and my sister in the corner and give us a piece of paper and be like, draw, draw me a penguin, draw me a frog, draw me a this, draw me a that. So I, I think having that sort of forced us into uh, drawing and uh, creative. And um, yeah, then I, I went to art college after school um, and then I went to university after that and did graphic design at university, which interestingly enough, my um, dissertation was on handmade graphics and using digital and handmade together. I was discussing with my husband before talking um, today saying, oh, actually, <laughs> my dissertation was basically on what my tutorial was on. <laughs> well, it's perfect because it's what you're an expert in. And they always say, like, the first thing that you should teach should be what you have extraordinary expertise in. And you do. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so where did you or when did you find blog printing? Like, do you remember that moment when you were like, I want to do this? Uh, yeah, kind of. I, I had a summer when I decided I was going to try lots of different crafts. I knew I liked crafting and making and I wasn't quite I hadn't sort of found what it was I was enjoying. So I, I did a lot of sewing. I made dresses. Um, I, I did a lot of different sort of things and then I just I think we made um some we just got some lino I can't remember why but um we made some superhero lino prints so we did the vision um the marvel heroes and we did spider-man and we just sort of played a little bit and then I think that Christmas I decided to do my Christmas cards as lino and then I sort of never looked back really but um I remember looking on Pinterest um I'm thinking, oh, actually, I had made a board which was um, illustration-based, um, just different pictures that I liked. And um, I remember thinking, oh, I seem to quite like lino. I seem to gravitate towards black and white lino prints. So um, I thought, yeah, actually, that makes sense. And then carried on. <laughs> and have was it, I mean, so when you really, like, started doing it did you immediately know that this was like it like it was magic or were you was there a struggle yeah. no it definitely felt like something clicked there was something in sort of that clicked and went yeah that that, that works I really like that the the balance between black and white and getting that right and just the the methodical sort of um mindfulness of sitting there carving at a piece of live lino in front of the telly is quite nice and just sort of I, yeah everything just clicked with me really so now lino is harder to carve than obviously any of the soft rubber blocks that's why they're yeah. called soft blocks do you have any physical tips for people about how not to end up with a wrist and a hand and a back and a shoulder and a neck that don't feel that great um if you find out let me know um, <laughs> um I think I mean I probably am not the best person to ask because I do tend to sit carving um I've got a little fold-up desk in front of and I put it in front of the sofa and I I sit there carving on that um but I think having sharp tools probably helps um because you don't have to force it quite so much it just sort of if when you get a new tool, it tends to glide through like butter. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I think if you get sharp tools, you don't hurt your hands so much. <laughs> do you sharpen your tools or do you just uh, get new ones? I hone them. So I've got the Swiss file um, tools 
um, uh, and I hone them. I've got a slip slip strop, mm-hmm. um, and so I hone them on that. But I haven't got them. I could probably do with getting them properly, professionally sharpened every so often, but I haven't done yet. And for people who don't know, you can usually get them professionally sharpened either at an art store or I've even heard that people can go to two places where they do knife sharpening. Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried the uh, knife sharpening place, but um, I know that there's a few art stores that do it in the UK anyway. Which is, I would say the file tools are an investment, so you might as well keep them in good shape. Definitely, yeah. I, I mean, you can get, I, I gave my friend a link the other day to a, a set that had, I think it was something like seven blades in it, and it was five pounds or something, whereas one file tool costs about 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah, but I think you also do, you do see the difference, but it's, again, it comes back to that thing, which is you don't need to have all the things at the beginning, and sometimes you they're, do. you know, especially with carving tools, like I have done a lot with the cheapy speedball Definitely, you know, definitely. Tool. It's the same as, um, I used to do quite a lot of photography, and you could have the most amazing camera, but you could also have the like just a pinhole camera and still take amazing photos. It's what you sort of do with it that counts, I not agree. the equipment necessarily that you're using. Well, a huge part of it, too, is developing your eye and your design sense. And none of that really has to do with the technical aspects of carving. So my father was a photographer, and I still remember a story he used to tell about he showed up for a photography class when he was in um, law school, and you had to basically, not audition, but you had to, like, apply to get in with a portfolio of stuff, and basically his prints were crappier than anybody else's (laughs) quality-wise, do you know what I mean, in the class. And uh, he got in, and he asked the teacher who became a friend of his later on, like, why he had a accepted him and what he was told is it's because you had an eye and you can't teach an eye the technical aspects of photography and printing I can teach you but I can't teach you how to have an eye yeah definitely I agree I agree and so I often say to people you know so I'm teaching this design boot camp course right now which is a really intensive you know course all about the principles and elements of art and one of the things is you know you're teaching people terms and you're teaching people how to use them but we talk a lot about what you naturally like and dislike because that's something that you know you have to have you have to know that you like things and dislike other things because that's your eye that that is the thing that you that is you essentially and so I think like if people want to work on one big art skill in my opinion a lot of that is really what we call your eye it's determining what you like what you don't like what kind of compositions are interesting to you which aren't like you know and and determining who you are because all of the technical skills are just about practice definitely yeah I think um again it comes down to experimentation and just keep sort of playing with different things and you'll you'll work out what it is you like don't like and Maybe by the end, as I said, like, you might have a style, but, um, yeah, just keep experimenting. Until, so what is something that then. you're experimenting with right now? Um, haven't really done an awful lot recently. <laughs> we're looking, we're buying, we're trying to buy a house at the moment and, um, uh, lockdown and everything. So we haven't had a massive time, but, um, I think I'm, I'm, 
I want to do more bigger prints. Um, I did before uh, COVID-19 came along, I signed up to do um, an etching course um, with using Aquatint and things like that, um, which I was really looking forward to, but then it got cancelled. So that's uh, postponed for now. But I, I would like to get into doing different printing techniques and experimenting with things that you don't necessarily, you can't do at home and you need a, bigger studio with all the acids and stuff to play with as well that's very exciting so are you looking at houses that might have studio space (laughs) well um we put an offer on one earlier today that does have a space out the back for a studio so we're waiting to hear back (laughs) fingers crossed hopefully a studio (laughs) that would be nice I think that that was one of the interesting things when we were shopping for a house is that when you really need to have a studio at your house, it completely changes the house hunt in terms of what you can look at and what you can think of. We just saw this one and um, I just, it's out in the garden. I was just like, oh, (laughs) it's just ideal. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have a studio by next year. Is this a shared space with your husband or yours alone? (laughs) No, I'm going to give him the uh, third bedroom so he Uh can um, have a drawing board and uh, have all his comic collection and comic art collection in there. So he'll have a man man cave. (laughs) There you go. That's I, I think that works out. Everybody needs their own space to pursue whatever it is that they're interested in. Yeah, yeah. So, Mom, so what does, well, I was just going to say, what does your ideal studio look like? Uh, going back to um, Bululu Designs, Beth, uh, she has just converted her garage into um, a studio workshop. And she painted the floor with amazing um, hand-painted sort of tile effect. And it was amazing. And her whole studio is gorgeous. And quite frankly, I'm very jealous and I would like her studio. <laughs> I think the idea, I mean, first of all, I think a uh, first level studio is always nice, especially if you're a printmaker, because presses and all that stuff are not easy to get yeah. up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would also, just like somewhere that has space. Yes. Where do you live right now? Do you live in an apartment where you don't, you're sort of doing it on top of each other? No, we're, we're in a house, but it's not a, it's not a very big house. Um, it's the UK, so we don't have very big houses. Mm. Um, but um, I do most of my printing on the dining room table, um, and I do most of my carving on the sofa at the moment. Um, but the dining table at the moment is also our home office because we're having to work from home. So there's not an awful lot of space for well, but it's quarantine, so nobody can come over. So basically, you don't need the table. <laughs> so there's going to be no dining parties. <laughs> well, I was going to say, one of the things that we finally decided maybe two months ago is we were like, no one is coming over. We need to just arrange the house so that it's a giant baby play gym and just forget <laughs> about the idea that company would ever be here. And so, you know, we just literally, like, removed couches and everything is just a play mat so the baby can run around safely. So, you know, I mean, I suppose that's the positive of COVID is that no one's going to get to see my romper room home. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I don't think we've had anyone over for ages. <laughs> no one's seen it. <laughs> well, it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. Do you have any last 
thoughts, either of you, Christina or Mom, that you'd like to chime in well, with? Well, I have a question. I noticed that you said that it was your grandmother's book press that your father had refurbished. Does this mean yes. your grandmother was kind of crafty and arty as well? Um, not really. I don't know why she had a book press. I'll have to find out more, actually. Yeah. But, um, no, she wasn't. I think all my family have been slightly creative. But um, What does slightly think, creative mean? Um, my mum went to um, college and did hairdressing, and I, I've seen her. Um, she had to do drawings of people's hair, and she, they were very good. I know that um, my grandfather used to do drawings quite a bit, and again, they were very good. So I think there's always been, it's always been encouraged in us to to be creative and do drawing and painting and making. So yeah, I think well, that counts. Um, yeah, yeah, I think. I think we've just always been encouraged. So it's always been sort of somewhere in the family. <laughs> and do you do things for friends? Do you make things at their request? I do, yes. <laughs> I, I've made cards for people, prints for people. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. If anyone wants anything, I, I tend to make it for them. Do you have a lot of friends who are creative and have creative hobbies? Um, not a massive amount. Um, I've got... I've got a few um, who are, um, my friend Babs is very creative. She's making pin badges at the moment. Um, yeah, I have got a few, but um, there's not, I, I'd, I'd like to have more. <laughs> Me too. I'd like I've to always have more wished of a community. That. Yeah, I've always wished that I had an in-person community of a lot of people who I knew who made who made art you know, as a hobby or a career, just because I think that's so nice to have that in-person you know, those nights, I've those really, evenings of play, the whole thing. I really loved um, Instagram um, finding, I mean, there's such a print community on Instagram. Um, and although I've not met many people in real life, like, I chat to quite a few people on there quite a lot. Um, and I would sort of deem them friends. Um, and it's nice having fellow people who sort of understand the joy of print um, that, can get excited when you get a new press whereas your friends are just like okay (laughs) (laughs) that's fair Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah it's fine yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. people get it it's always nice to have people who get you and I think the internet Mm. is a wonderful place for that so that people do understand you know sort of how you feel you're you they see you so to speak yeah definitely yeah yeah so where can people find you online speaking of connecting online uh, the first portico is probably Instagram, which is Tweeny. Um, I've also got an Etsy store, which is also called Tweeny. Um, and then I'm on Facebook and Twitter under Tweeny Prints. Cool. Uh, so that's about all here. Uh, no one can find mom. She's incognito, so don't bother. <laughs> but <laughs> you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us an email or leave us a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on your social media or tell your neighbor or whatever, because that helps other people find the show, which we really appreciate. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.